This week, um, Phil's going to be sharing about doing life together in community. And I, I asked him to come and share today because he's got a powerful word for our house. So can you please stand on your feet, make some ruckus for Phil Kryling. All right. Hey, it's great to be here. And uh, I'm from Kansas City. But you know, we, we won the Super Bowl. I just want to make sure you knew that. I started to wear a shirt out here, but I thought that might be a little bit too much in, the, in your face there. We were excited over the Eagles won two years ago. And so uh, we were uh, uh, really excited uh, to finally get our turn after 50 years. I mean, I know you all experienced a long time also, so you understood what that is. And the great celebration. How many of you went to the parade near the Eagles won? Right here? I didn't get to go to the parade this last Wednesday. I already had uh, tickets to fly up here uh, to be here for this weekend, and uh, especially uh, the main reason I came is not you. Uh, Tuesday's on A's birthday, so I, I came for on A, and uh, I, I do about anything for that girl, and she knows it, unfortunately, and uh, uh, she manipulates it all the time. It is important that we get a chance to be together, celebrate together. You know, I had a lot of friends who went to the parade and were talking about it. And I was watching different things on Facebook. And, and as they were all together, some of the pictures were coming out. We had about 800,000 people. I know it wasn't as large as your all's. Uh, we're not quite as large of a, a Metroplex as uh, Philadelphia's here. But uh, it was a cold day, but people went out no matter what. And people, during that week, uh, two weeks from the time we won the AFC Championship to go to the Super Bowl, I mean, if somebody was wearing red, they were your best friend. You ever had that? You know, there's just something in common that, uh, you know, you have something that, that just locks you together, and it was the Chiefs. Uh, if they were wearing red, I mean, it's like you were just instant friends. You gave everybody high fives. You didn't have to know anybody by name. And uh, it's important that we have that friendship, that relationship. So I want to speak to you today about never doing life alone. The title of your series, I heard Elijah's message last week, is living your best life now. Your best life is going to be lived in conjunction with other people. I've got a report I want to just share with you some facts out of. Okay, This isn't the Bible yet. This is not a Christian uh, study that was done. It was done by Cigna uh, Health. Uh, it was uh, looking at both the health and uh, what impact uh, friendship, relationships, had on people's lives. And so here's just some statistics. I just want to give them to you. It said more people live and eat alone today than ever before. More than half of all meals, 57%, are eaten alone. 34% of Americans spend dinner time alone. Nearly 30% of households in the U.S. are comprised of one person. It's the second most common household type after married couples without children. Here's some other things the Cigna report found. This was a Study was done just uh, probably about 18 months ago, never came out. Only around half of Americans say they have meaningful daily face-to-face -face social interactions, including an extended conversation with a friend or spending quality time with family. Members of Generation Z, this is adults uh, kind of in that age, 18 to 22, special part of this survey that they, they did there, for the purposes of this study, uh, they say that they are the loneliest generation and claim to be in worse health than other generations. Excessive browsing can also be a problem. A 2015 study in the Journal of Cyber Psychology, Behavior, and Social Networking suggested young people who are heavy users of social media 
spending more than two hours a day are more likely to report poor mental health and psychological distress, symptoms of which include anxiety and depression. But as they went on the study, they found that it wasn't social media, that that alone didn't, uh, uh, was not the predictor of loneliness. Uh, heavy users have a loneliness score. They had this chart made up to decide your loneliness score. And theirs was a 43.5, but it's only slightly higher than people who say they never use social media at all, which is 41.7. So it's not that uh, we're becoming disconnected by our social media or different things, or even becoming more connected by it. See, God doesn't want us to be alone. Genesis 2.18 says, And the Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. You know, I, I saw Barry and, and, you know, was asking if he was into the countdown of how many more days of freedom he had before he and Allie got married. And we, uh, I was saying that, you know, if Allie's around here somewhere, I, Barry wasn't the one saying it, so I don't want to get Barry in trouble. But I was just, uh, I was kidding. We just celebrated, uh, Sherry and I, our 35th anniversary. And uh, what that means, to have somebody that you know is just always going to be there, they always believe in you, they always love you. Well, God looked whenever he created Adam and created Adam for a relationship with him. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper for him, a helpmate. You know, God puts us in relationships because he knows that we need them. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow man. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no one else to lift him up. Psalm 68 Verse 6 says, God places the lonely in families. See, God wants you to be part of his family. He wants you to be part of a family. God created family. You know, you can look back and, and sometimes see the, the onslaught that the world has on everything. God ordains certain things that were good. I mean, it really, I've looked at it through God's word, is that uh, God, first of all, or, ordained... <laughs> creation, our ability to create. He ordained relationships, family, putting us together. He ordained work. There's something good to be done with our hands. He ordained government and authority. He ordained a family. There's certain things that God has set in order because they're best for us. You know, we were at a, I was uh, just sitting in on uh, a home group with uh, Elijah and Ashley, uh, Friday night, and I had a chance to meet uh, five new friends. Uh, Kenneth, who's here from L.A. Uh, for what kind of time? Just uh, I think he's uh, here working somewhere, kind of software. And uh, I didn't get to meet Ethel, but uh, you know uh, we were talking about it. Uh, I got to meet uh, Brenda, and uh, her. Uh, she's uh, was Kim's mom, and uh, and uh, <laughs> hey, it's it's a way you get. Uh, Recognized, isn't it? You know, you're just you're somebody else's. You're their mom, grandma, something like that. I mean, that's just the way it is. Uh, I, I met Sean and Robin, and uh, got to know uh, them. And I met Jennifer, who's here from the Congo. And uh, you know, I, to make new friends and to hear their story, and it was just it was fun. It was a fun night. I love to be together with people. As I I, I know I had to share with you before. You may be new here. I came from a large family. I've got eleven sisters and three brothers. And. Uh, uh, we just, you know, uh, we were always together, growing up on the farm and, and spending the time and 
Uh, we would have fun together. We would torment, harass each other. I mean, uh, uh, I learned politics in that family because you learn how to get a vote, to swing everybody your way, eight to seven or something like that, or what you're going to do. Uh, I, I learned, uh, you know, how to how to get along. Uh, you know, I I am the epitome of a male chauvinist, only in the fact that some people will say, my wife uh, said to her, babe, can you give me a glass of water? She says, can't you do anything for yourself? I said, sweetheart, I had 11 sisters. If I could have done anything for myself, I wouldn't have had to get married. <laughs> I mean, it's obvious I can't do anything for myself. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. Uh, yeah, she's going to hear this podcast later, and I'll be in trouble for that one there. But God puts us in families because he knows we need relationship. See, God promises he's going to be with you. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. But he doesn't want you to be alone. He wants you to experience his love with flesh on. We need relationships with one another. We were created for it. It's natural. You know, sometimes we would want to, uh, or the world will almost say, you're okay by yourself. You don't need anybody else. This study proves health risk of what happens whenever somebody's alone. Being by yourself is not a good thing. And, you know, it's not just for a younger generation. They were doing studies with people over the age of 60. What it means to them is sometimes whenever they're alone, and what you will often see sometimes whenever a, a spouse has died, it's not too long until later on, as older, that the other spouse will die. We were just created for relationship. Now, whenever we lose that, it's bad for us. It's bad for our health. We were created to be around others, to have interaction, to socialize. We were created to worship together. There's something special. I mean, yeah, we can listen to all kinds of music on our car. Or you can download music and listen to it anywhere on your phone, different things. Put in your uh, AirPods or whatever you have and, and you know, just kind of uh, I don't know what the right term is in this day and time, but just kind of enjoy jamming out to, uh, by yourself and think that it's good. That's a great plus add into your life as far as worship. But we were created to worship together. There's a reason we come together on Sunday mornings. You know, whenever we call this a worship service, you know why? We come together just to celebrate all week what God has done. And we come to celebrate with other people who have been our friends. We need this. Some people say, oh, I don't need it. I will tell you that the world is saying, by health statistics, you need relationship with somebody. And, you know, the, the Bible study that the group was doing Friday night of uh, uh, your health and, and, you know, switching on your brain, they now are, it's amazing what they're finding out about what you can do as far as deciding in your mind and, and different things. And, and as the Bible would say, about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Science has now caught up and said, wow, we now there are a million new cells that are formed in our body every day that we have a chance to decide, making choices, what are we going to do with it? I had a class on this about a year and a half ago in my, in my coaching uh, world and talking about whenever you're dealing with somebody, what's really going on in their brain, the changes that can be made there, and what a positive environment can make. Sometimes we try to fake that positive environment. God wants us to uh, be able to enjoy our lives. The study uh, went on to say that making friends is very difficult for people. 31% of Americans say that they find it difficult to make friends. 53% say that they, it's because they're too shy. 27% say that they don't feel like they need friends. 26% say they don't have any hobbies or interests that can facilitate friendships. 20% said they've been hurt before and friendships were just too much work. 
And all the statistics really are true there. But we need one another. We need those friendships, those relationships. I want to read to you this morning from John 15. If you've got uh, uh, your Bibles, you may have it on the phone. If you want to read along, because sometimes you'll read and uh, read in context out of just what I'm sharing. Uh, and if you don't have it on your phone, download. Uh, just go to the app and, and download YouVersion app. It absolutely is the greatest to have all the different Bible translations, whatever. Take up hardly any space in your phone and just to have access to it where you can just read it anytime. I love it because whenever I'm stuck somewhere and just a downtime or I'm waiting, just to flip open my Bible app and just to fill my mind with God's promises, God's goodness, and uh, just have that. But I want to read to you from John 15, beginning in verse 12. And this is after he talked about being in, uh, in the vine and that uh, he was the vine, we're the branches, and he's talked about how we're supposed to bear fruit. And as we grow in him, we continue to bear fruit and bear fruit and more fruit and much fruit. And then he says this in verse 12, Jesus does to the disciples, says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. See, God sent Jesus that we could experience the full extent of God's love with skin on. That's why it's so important, the people that you bump into every day. They need you. They need you to go to church because they didn't. They need you to be full of praise and worship because whenever the world will bump into you, and just like if you're trying to carry a drink, the reason they put their lids on coffees and a little skinny hole so you can't hardly have to suck your brains out to try to get anything out, you know, is because that way you won't spill it whenever you're walking around. But, you know, God intended for our lives just to kind of be spilled out on others. And hopefully it's good things that are coming out. He says, you know, well, you were created for a relationship. Jesus came to bridge that relationship between God the Father and us. That's what the work of the cross was. So that we could see how much God loved us with skin on. Because you can read it in words. And you can read. I saw the New Testament uh, back there. You can read it. But until you really experience it experience the love that God has. That's what we're going to celebrate today with baptism. I love baptism. I'm the only one, I guess. But I love baptisms because what it means, it's about relationship. It's a sign of the relationship that's gone on, of a commitment you've made to your Heavenly Father, and that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And it also is like a membership, and it identifies with everybody else and says, this is my public profession that I've asked God to forgive me of my sin. And I've asked Jesus to be Lord of my life. And I've asked the Holy Spirit to come in and help me make the right decisions every day. And you know what? I need to constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a reason I get up and I try to read His Word every day. Because I just leak. I do. And as I bump into people and people kind of suck things out of me, I just kind of leak. You know what? I need to constantly be filled with his presence. Otherwise, pretty soon, the real fill will be what will bounce out all over people. 
And sometimes that can be ugly. And it probably is ugly whenever you get into your selfishness too. We really are. It's the way that it is. First place of a relationship is about connecting with Jesus. He is the hope of the world, as we were singing about. Second is making a commitment to each other. Don't do life alone. Romans 12, verse 10 says, be devoted to one another. Acts 2, 42. Right after uh, Christ had gone back to heaven, after Jesus had been raised from the dead, and four days later, whenever he went back to heaven, and the disciples were there praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit and not knowing totally what they were waiting on, just waiting. And then after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, what we find is that they began to do something because they didn't know what to do. I mean, church, and we were talking the other night, can you have church in, in, a, in a comedy club, in a bar? You can have church anywhere because church is inside of us now. You know, you used to, they had the temple, the tabernacle, and everything, and sometimes we can get into saying, oh, our, our buildings ought to look just like this. It's not about a building. It's about what we ought to look. It's about what God has done in our lives. And so what they did was they just started making it up. They were still going to the temple because they'd always gone to the temple. But it says in Acts 2, verse 42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. That's all they knew to do. Verse uh, 46 on down there says, They worshiped together in the temple each day. Then they met at homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. That's what you need to be doing. Invite people into your home. You know, people say, oh, well, my home doesn't look good enough. I grew up, as I said, with 14 brothers and sisters. Uh, we slept three people in a bed. Uh, life was pretty simple for us. And yet we would always have the pastor or somebody or a traveling missionary, whoever it was, over for dinner or somebody else. It seems like we always fixed roast beef or chicken. Because somehow you can multiply those. It's kind of like the feeding of the 5,000. You can just keep deciding and just multiply it out there. And, you know, we had a long table that was already full of people. But there was always room for somebody else. It's just the way I was raised. And, you know, we did it. I mean, the joke was with my wife was that, uh, you know, I could expect her, if, if I would have been there at the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus said, these people need to eat. What do we have to give to them? I would have been one who would have said, hey, come over to my house. Sherry will fix dinner. Because I often would do that. And I mean, sometimes we would have, after church, 70, 80, 100 people just over. And uh, well, Sherry learned to always keep uh, food around ready. Because I would just invite everybody. I love to have everybody around. And sometimes she'd let me know her unhappiness after everybody left. And, uh, and not that any of you other wives would ever do that. But, uh, you know. But we're created, we're committed to one another, spending time together. Because then we begin to fulfill our purpose. And we were created for a purpose. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Did you know God has good things for you to do? How I wish we could once again come up with a tagline that would actually say, Make America good again. Because that's what we need. We need people just to be good. Our whole problem here is that we're all so selfish and we all want our own thing and we all fight back and forth over anything and nothing. 
But to come back to goodness once again where it says, I want the best for somebody else, not what's in it for me. I care about others. And, you know, I'll, I'll give you a practical story. I saw Maxwell back here and was talking to him about uh, a little bit right quick about uh, schools and different things he's in. Uh, we've been really involved in schools in Kansas City since I, I left the pastorate, and, and uh, we've been in about 120-some schools. And, and one of the great stories happened this last year in Ruskin High School. Uh, it's, it's not an inner-city high school, but it's a, it's, it was kind of the suburbs, but it's now become the poor area. It's kind of where uh, everybody who can afford anything has kind of been pushed into. This is a high school of about 1,200, 1,300 kids. And uh, this pastor who was there close and what we were doing with building school partnerships, he talked to us and says, you know, I'd really like to uh, just reach out and try to help in the school in any way that I can there. And so we talked to the principal, and he says, you know, I'd love to teach leadership if I could. And Pastor Lester talked to the principal, and he says, you know, I would. He says, you know, I really wish, because I've got these kids in my school that are just troublemakers. He says, I wish somebody would invest in them. The pastor says, I'll do it. And so he pulled these 12 kids, and they pulled them into this room, this kind of conference room, after school, they, they told them all they needed to see them there after school. They came in there, and the principal wasn't there yet, and the pastor wasn't there yet, and these 12 kids are sitting around. And in a large school like that, they weren't all in the same group or the same clique, but they started looking at each other. And they said, you know, the only thing we know is we know all of our reputations, because they knew each other by reputation. They said, they finally had enough of us. <laughs> They're going to kick us out. <laughs> They're done with it. Pastor Lester came in began to talk to him about what he wanted to do, and that somebody had seen, their principal had seen leadership potential in them, which it was true. They were leaders, not for a good kind of any kind, but they were leaders. Specialist said, I would like to start meeting with you before school. These kids started committing for 12 weeks at 6.30 in the morning, and they never missed a morning. Never missed a morning before school to get up, whereas half the time they didn't even attend school before. Because somebody believed in them. And it started to change that school because suddenly the kids who had always been the leaders and the problem uh, uh, kids were now suddenly making a difference because they were setting an example. And it's carried on. That started last spring. It's carried on into this fall and on through this winter semester. And other kids who want to get involved. And you know why? Because they just want somebody to believe in them. They just want somebody to care about them. They just want somebody with flesh on them who are really invested in their lives. See, we were created for a purpose, and these kids are starting to come alive to theirs, and they've gotten involved in youth activities in the church and other things like that, because they just want that. They just want somebody who will believe there. I want to encourage you today. Find a partner. Get involved in some kind of ministry. Get involved in a group. I had already walked backstage, so I don't know how many hands went up whenever I heard Elijah say something about how many were in a group. Uh, this last week. But if you're not in a group, get in a group. I know it's easy to say, and a lot of times people will be, well, nobody really would want me. Or, you know, they really wouldn't be that excited to see me. Or, you know, I, I've got something else going on. and we'll, we'll give all kinds of excuses. But we need one another. We need to be involved in this Christian race together. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone on before us, those who are apart, of heaven, who look down on and, and encourage and say, keep on running to this life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that uh, slows us down, especially the sin that so easily uh, entangles us, it trips us up. 
and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiated and who perfected the race. I used to be a runner. Okay? I'm 63 now, so those days are well behind me. I'm not only 63, but whenever I ran, I was six foot five and I was 140 pounds. So I didn't have a lot of weight to carry. 100 extra pounds gets to be a lot of weight to carry. <laughs> it hurts, you know. And, uh, but, you know, there was a time whenever I loved to run. I mean, we grew up on the farm. We just always ran everywhere. After we got into sports, at seven miles home, if we wanted to stay and play sports, then we had to find our own way home, which was usually we ran the seven miles to get back home. We did that all the time. I finally got to go out for uh, more than one sport. My dad let me, and in my senior year, I went out for uh, uh, track. I'd never run on a track in my life. I'd always run wide open, and it was hard, you know, whenever I initially started running because it was hard mentally to figure out, okay, what pace to run at. I mean, my first time in my first quarter was 55, 56 as I'm coming around, and I killed everybody who tried to stay with me, and I killed myself. I think our times were about 11 minutes for the two mile by the time we finished up. Yet as I learned to run what it was to pace myself, and I, I got uh, trained and, uh, you know, when going to state, it was like pick out who was the fastest runner, let them set the pace. Coach would say, just stay, just right off of him, just one stride off of him, and then take him at the end. And I would just fix my eyes on that, and I wouldn't think about anything else, anything, pace, anything like that. I would just stay just that far from him. I did that, went on to college, got a college scholarship to go on and run there in the mile and the two mile and the cross country and the five mile. And I would do that. I always pick out who was the best runner. Tell me who it was, and I'll run with them. Because I didn't really know how to pace myself or what pace I could run. But I'd pick out who was best, and it'd be like, okay, I'll just run with them. You know, that's what it says. Jesus Christ is the one who initiated the race, who perfected the race. Fix your eyes on him and just run after him. Just chase after him. Just run the way he does. This Christian life isn't as difficult as everybody's made it out to be. It's really pretty simple. Jesus Christ has already done all the work at the cross. He forgives us of our sins. Now we get to just run with him. And you know what? Whenever I, I fail, I don't stop. Okay, the sin maybe tripped me up a little bit, but I keep on running. I keep on going. And you know what I found was? When I was practicing and we were running cross country, we were doing our training for the five mile there at uh, Southwest Missouri State. And we were number two in the nation, always behind the University of Arkansas. But I learned. It was so much better to run with somebody else. Because you know what? You can get discouraged running by yourself, putting in all those miles that it takes to train. Well, boy, how much better it was to run along with somebody else. You know, Jen, you were talking about uh, doing physical fitness and training people and all like that for, for that. It's so much easier whenever somebody has a partner, somebody there to encourage them in different things. You know, you can put out all you want, book, and, and say, you know, they show that, the, the Peloton commercial and, and uh, you know, for uh, riding and everything like that. And the idea. We try to do connectedness because it's, it's riding together. But what a difference it makes whenever there's somebody right there with flesh on who's doing it along with us, who's helping us. That's what the Christian life is. That's why I want to challenge you to get in a group. If you haven't signed up, sign up today. Our... I don't even know how you sign up. Maybe you just come talk to one of the leaders, or I know you can talk to Ashley or Elijah somebody, and just talk to them and just say, hey, I really would like to be in a group. I, I don't know how to go. You may be saying, well, maybe do I need to know a lot about the Bible? No, you don't. And first of all, uh, you know, if you need a scripture verse or something like that, seriously, download that app. You can find everything instantly. 
You can make notes on it. You can find anything you want. You can sound really smart if you've never seen the Bible before in your life. Plenty of notes there and all like that. It's just like anything else. But what you'll find is that word will start to come alive in your heart. You'll start to realize, wow, this is what the Lord's saying to me. It's amazing how the Word and the Holy Spirit work together and begin to speak into your lives. But don't run alone. Because you know what? Satan will wear you down and he'll discourage you running by yourself. It really does. That's the one thing I learned. It was so much better to run in a pack. There was just something encouraging about it. And really, whenever we had a pack, we even learned later on how one would go out to set the pace. We learned how to set it. That person set the pace. Then the next person laughed and set the pace. You'll see uh, cycling teams do this all the time because you can't hold it up. You can't maintain. And there's somebody who will set the pace in your group and then somebody else who may set the pace. But all the time, it's encouraging you to go faster, to go farther with Christ than you've ever gone and to make a change. I want to pray for you today. Uh, I kind of thought how to end this. and The biggest challenge I want to have was just to get involved with somebody. I mean, it's good you're here. Man, don't ever walk into church and just walk out. Don't just walk in and walk out. It's the worst thing you can ever do. Get involved. Stay around. Get to know people. Uh, you really want to get involved? Get on a team and start to do something. <laughs> it's the greatest way to find out what's uh, going on and hear what's going on in church. And get active. Get involved. And build those friendships because you need the friendships. See, I was standing out there and whenever... We were coming in today, and it was great to see Jack and Lily. And uh, whenever Dean came in, and, and Bob said, "Boy, I'm so glad you're preaching today. But you preached last October. That was the best message I'd ever heard." And I said, "Buddy, you got to get out more. I mean, <laughs> find the best message you ever heard. You got to get out more." But you know what? It's fun to be with friends. It's fun to laugh. Health-wise, what it does for you, just to enjoy life. I don't worry about stress because you know what? I know God loves me. I know Jesus Christ died for my sins. I know that if I fail, he forgives me. He already has gone before me. Remember the way to walk in? I relax and just enjoy life. I've never had to do anything out there to try to make my life any better, to make it any more enjoyable. Every day I know one thing. I know that God loves me. And God sent me in a family where I was able to learn, grow up and know that. God gave me a wife that we've been able to grow together. He gave me two kids that are just great. And then he gave me two more, and my son-in-law Elijah and my daughter-in-law Jessica. And then he gave us three grandkids. And you know what? I love my life. You ever stop and count your blessings? How much you love what God has done for you? Have you ever looked around and been thankful for your friends? You pulled it up right now in your contacts. Who would be that person you could contact in the middle of the night? There's a story about a, a person who needs bread because somebody else is going on a journey. And he goes at 3 o'clock in the morning and knocks on a neighbor's door needing to borrow bread. We all need a 3 o'clock friend, a 3 a.m. friend. But you can call no matter what's going on, whether it's been a good day or a bad day. If you don't have that, begin to look for it. And you'll find it in a church. You'll find it in a group. You'll find it in a team. If you aren't already in a relationship, you'll find out that God has the right relationship for you one day out there because he wants that for you. He wants to bless you because then he wants to use you to bless others.
He wants to pour his love into your life because he wants you to be his love with skin on. And he wants you to be so filled with his presence, filled with his goodness, that whenever this world bumps into you, what spills out is his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. That's what he wants for you. And after 63 years of life, I don't need a study to tell me what all the statistics said. It may be great to back up what I've always known. We were created for relationship. Relationship with the Father and relationship with one another. And I'm going to challenge you to something else today. And then I'm going to give it back to Elijah here in just a moment. Don't let somebody walk out of here by themselves. It's not tough to look around and see. You know somebody who's kind of set by themselves or being by themselves? You take the initiative. Well, I'm too shy. Well, you know what? 50% of the people are, so you got a 50-50 chance. You might as well be the one that's not. At Change Church, we believe in doing life together. If you want to connect with us, you can visit us online at thisischange.org or any social media platform at thisischangephl. Thanks for joining us and have an amazing week.